We are gathered together because of the curse of sin. Nevertheless, we are also gathered together because of the promise of eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To a grieving soul, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I often begin a memorial service uh, with those very words. How much more so are they appropriate for today, in which we celebrate Jesus as the resurrection and the life? We ought to ask ourselves, what do these words that Jesus spoke, what, did they, what do they mean in context? Where did they come from? Where, where, where are they designed to bring comfort to a, a grieving soul? When, uh, Lazarus heard the, when Jesus heard the news of Lazarus' departing and death, he arrived in a little town called Bethany. And when he arrived there, Martha ran out to meet him. And she said to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Martha heard these words from Jesus, heard these words that uh, your brother will rise again, she thought that Jesus was being, intending to bring comfort to her for the moment, to console her by causing her to think ahead to the future in which her brother would rise again. And so she quickly replied to Jesus' words and said, I know that He will rise again in the last day, in the resurrection on that last day. And that's when Jesus flipped things over. Jesus invited her to have a bigger view of who He was. That's when He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when Martha heard that, she said, Jesus, yes, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. She agreed with what Jesus said. She didn't have any problems with what Jesus said, but maybe I don't think she fully understood what Jesus had said. As far as she could go, she accepted what Jesus said. But Jesus was describing himself with an extreme metaphor, extreme language. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's a big thought. That is a lot to take in. What does it mean? Jesus does not say that he will give the resurrection and the life, he says that he is the resurrection and the life. What does he mean? Jesus links life and resurrection to himself. And what he's doing in that moment, he's saying that I am the life of the age to come. I am everything that you could ever hope for beyond the grave. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And the moment a person sees Jesus in this way, that he is the life of the age to come, you begin to participate in the life of the age to come. And so death itself becomes like a gateway not to the it becomes a gateway to experiencing the life of the age to come and to enjoy it with great abundance. What keeps a person from seeing Jesus in this way? I mean, you, you go throughout life and you hear people use Jesus' name in a very casual way and even in a cursing way. What keeps people from seeing Jesus as the life, the life of the age to come? What keeps people? People always choose what they think will bring the most satisfaction in life. And when people look and make choices in life, no one is, is making them do anything that they don't want to do. In fact, choice is the exercise of what your heart really wants and what you think is going to bring you the most happiness in life. People love that which is perceived to be the thing that will bring happiness and life to themselves. People worship that which they think will bring them happiness. Jesus' step-half-brother said these words in James chapter 1, though, with that way of life, that when desire, when it conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the opposite of life. That's opposite of the life of the age to come. We have such a short view. We don't see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life because we see other things in our life as of having greater value and can bring us the happiness that we want. And so when we look to guilty pleasures instead of Jesus, it's no wonder that we're unable to see the sin that separates us from the life of the age to come. And Jesus, Jesus calls to one and all to turn away from sin and to believe that He is the resurrection and the life. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw our attention to the privileges, the blessings that are ours if we see Jesus as the life of the age to come. I believe that I can speak confidently that Jesus grants participation in a first resurrection to those who believe that He is the life of the age to come. We all want the good life. Jesus is the good life. And if we believe that He is the good life, He gives us Himself, and we have the hope of everlasting life. Let's look at… I hope you turn to… Uh, Revelation chapter 20 this morning in verses 4 through 6, and also, also looking at some verses later in the chapter as well. I'm going to read these verses. Do follow along. Then I saw thrones, John's writing, then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life 
and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Down in verse 12, we see, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. First resurrection. First resurrection. Yes. When Jesus was talking to Martha, she instinctively responded, I know that my brother will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. The instinct that her brother would rise was not wrong. Perhaps her view was perhaps incomplete. And I do believe that the majority of Americans and the majority of Christians even, or or lots of Christians rather, probably don't realize that there are two resurrections coming. And in this text, we see privileges, we see uh, guarantees for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They become partners in the resurrection life to come, and they have the guarantee that they will rise in the first resurrection. And so in verse 6, where most of our our message is going to focus on, we're going to see three eternal privileges that are ours because of what Jesus did. There is a priority in verse 6 that the saints of God will rise first, will rise first. Now, last Sunday we were gathered together on Palm Sunday, and, and many of us remarked, I had never heard a Palm Sunday service from the book of Revelation. I have never done one from the book of Revelation before. And it's not just merely an attempt to try something novel or new, but I thought that we really ought to be looking towards the future and seeing what our eternal hope is. And yet I was personally blessed as I was studying and seeing what was involved in the future, and I don't mean to cause neglect in truncating some of the details. Last Sunday we were in chapter 19, and I'm kind of planning to overstep the the actual glorious return of Christ, which is recorded in the last part of chapter 19 and the first part of chapter 20. But I'm focusing our attention right now on what happens when Jesus returns, and we're seeing the graves open. We're seeing a a first resurrection occur. And by the time we pick up Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6, Christ is described as already victorious over His enemies. Satan is bound. He's bound and he's not inflicting the nations anymore. 
And I want us to notice that as we read in verse 4 that there was a period of resistance and there were some who lost their lives trying to be faithful to Jesus. These come to life and they will rule and reign with Jesus. Notice in verse 4 that they come to life at the end, the very last sentence there, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years years. They were resurrected, but then the rest of the dead did not come to life until after the thousand years were ended. That's what verse verse 5 says. The rest of the dead did not come to life until after the thousand years were ended. This implies that there is not just one general resurrection, but there are two resurrections. And we need to establish in our minds and our thinking what exactly the resurrection is and what it is not. What is it? What is this resurrection, this first resurrection? Well, first, let's discover what it's not. And the first thing it is not is it's not a figurative resurrection. It's not figurative. Some have, in times gone past, and well-meaning Christians even, have seen this resurrection as a resurrection of principles or morals or doctrines that had been neglected for time. But I don't think you can really draw that conclusion by looking at the text as it seems to want to speak to us. This context is not talking about a resurrection of a revival of the fruit of the Spirit coming out. That's not what is being communicated here. Another thing that it is not is as mainline seminaries taught, as the Darwinian concept of evolution began to take hold in America, that this resurrection was something that was not literal. In other words, the advance of sciences caused people to think to themselves, well, there's no such thing. Where do we see resurrections happening? We're not going to take this as it's presenting itself to us. Because, you know, we know that once a person has died... Their bodies get composted, right? And our bodies may be somewhere in the food chain. There's no way that how is this going to recollect? And, and what they don't, didn't factor in is that with God, nothing is, God, cannot, God cannot be limited by our own thinking. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Some well-meaning folks have at times seen this first resurrection as being tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that we might consider ourselves being resurrected right here, right now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the new birth, through being born again. Yet the complicating factor for that viewpoint is that the second resurrection at the end of this must also agree in kind. The resurrection at the end of the thousand years is also literal. It also is genuine. So I think you probably can see where I'm going with this. What kind of resurrection is this first resurrection? Well, the first resurrection is God's gracious priority of believers over unbelievers. In other words, the saints will rise first. And there is an interval of a thousand years in which we will reign with Christ upon the earth. 
Now, some people will say, well, a thousand years is but a moment with the Lord, right? But it is a substantial time for a reign of peace to occur upon the earth, to create the conditions for peace upon the earth. We know nothing about what peace is like. I mean, we have had the Pax Americana. We've had the peace of America for the last almost a century. But even then, there was all kinds of wars happening, right? We can hardly imagine what it would be like to have rulers governing for the benefit of all people, not just a slim set. We can hardly imagine businesses being run for the benefit of all. There's not a single, you know, we can't imagine, like, there's all, we have agencies set up to protect us from products that are being made, right? We can't imagine what a world would be like in which everything was working for our benefit. And for 1,000 years, the Lord Jesus is going to rule and we're going to rule with him. And so what this means is that the first and the second resurrection are real. They're real. Not to belabor this point, but I want you to see it. I want us to turn to another passage, and we're going to come back here very shortly. I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for one moment. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, we have these words. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that implies that there will be another resurrection. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming. Christ has not yet come, has he? We've seen 2,000 years slip away. How is it not possible then that there could be a rule of Christ for a 1,000 years before Others are resurrected. In verse 22, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end. It's easy for us to realize that there is a thousand years between the first resurrection and a second resurrection based on the fact that Christ has not yet even come, and it's been 2,000 years already. And so as we see these truths presented, we have to assemble them in our thinking, in our minds. And so it says there, um, it says, then, Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. What we see in the Scriptures is a first resurrection and a priority for the saints, and then a thousand years, and then a second resurrection. 
And I want us to turn back to Revelation right now. We're going to jump back to Revelation chapter 20. And I want us to see the description of those who participate in the first resurrection. They're described as blessed. In verse 6, we read these words, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The word holy means set apart, being set apart for this very purpose. Set apart for what? For blessing. For blessing. And we had just seen in verse 5 that the rest don't come into life until after the thousand years. And so what I'm doing here is I'm trying to highlight and try to encourage you to see that and make it as clear as possible the truth that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus grants participation for you in the first resurrection. You're set apart as holy. You have blessing coming your way that it will be delivered for you. But you have to believe that He is the life of the age to come. You have to be able to hear Him speak as He spoke to Martha and believe it as well. You have to put your faith and trust in Him. And He grants participation in that first resurrection. There's a second benefit and blessing here by putting your faith and trust in, that, in Him that's found in the second part of verse 6, and we see these words, over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. The second death has no power. This refers to a literal death. Last Sunday, we talked about the good news of the gospel in which Jesus saves us from Himself. God is a holy God. He is all holy, and we are not. And He saves us and protects us from His own wrath. The second death is the full expression of God's wrath. And there is provision made for the small and the great. Did you see... Um, in verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. But notice that it's the great and the small. Last Sunday, we, we were hearing about the provision of God to bring protection for all who would call upon Jesus' name. And notice in chapter 19, verse 5, the, the, the exclamation that comes from the throne over that provision of salvation. It says, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. What this tells me is that God in His mercy provides a way of escape from the second death, and it's available to the small and the great. It's available to everyone. 
But the truth is not everyone will take it. And unfortunately, there will be those in the second resurrection who will stand before God and they're called the small and the great. There is a necessity to take hold of God's gracious provision, to take hold of the cross. All of the implications of Jesus' cross, it's like holding, as I said last week, holding open the jaws of the second death and hell. Unfortunately, while provision is made for the whole world, there are some who won't accept it. But for those who do see Jesus as the life of the age to come, there is protection. There's protection from the second death. The second death refers to that coming judgment that will come upon the wicked who are raised at the second resurrection after the thousand-year period of time. In verse 14, we see the description of that second death. And after the judgment had occurred, then the death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, provision has been made for the whole world because of Jesus who was all good. He was perfect in every way. He gave up His life so that we wouldn't have to go through the flames of the second death. Jesus was resurrected out of the grave so that we might participate in His resurrection. And we do this by faith, and the only way that we can stand in that latter day when we see Christ is by claiming the blood of Jesus Christ for ourselves. The only way we can stand without fault fault before God, a holy God, is by claiming the blood of Jesus Christ for us. It comes without any strings attached. No man or woman is able to stand in the presence of God without the blood of Jesus Christ. There shall be a second death. But if you put your faith and trust in Him, it will have no power over you. There's a beautiful picture in this. It's as if we have the ability to walk through the flames of hell and they not singe us because of what Jesus did for us. Some of us grew up hearing the stories of the three men, the three men in Babylon who were Daniel's friends. And when they refused to bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was incensed and angry, and he heated his furnace seven times hotter than it should have been heated. And he threw those three young men into the flames. But they were not burned. They were not consumed. Why was that? Because the presence of the Son of God was there with them. And this is the hope of the resurrection of Christ 
we can have the participation, we can have the resurrection of life within our souls that will deliver us from the flames to come. This is a privilege that we celebrate today. We celebrate the first resurrection that we can participate in, and the second will have no power upon us, no effect. And the third privilege here this morning, I want us to see in the last part of this verse, is that the saints will reign with Him a thousand years. In verse 6, it says very plainly, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Distinct promises of a thousand-year reign. Now, I believe personally that this is a reign that occurs on the earth, and I see this in the teachings of Jesus. I see this in His thinking through the Old Testament and how He talked about the Christians then living and reigning with Him. You know, in the Beatitudes, Jesus talked about how that the how, the ble- how blessed the meek are, right? For they shall inherit the earth. That loses its power and punch if we were just to say, well, that's just kind of figurative. I don't see the meek inheriting the earth today. The meek don't inherit the earth today to any degree and nor did they in the first century in which they suffered persecution for following Christ. What, do, what belongs to the meek? Does it not, does it not, is it not their inheritance that they receive the pillory, that they receive the rack, that they receive the stake, that they have dungeons, that they have executions? That's what the meek get. They get what looks like injustice. But Jesus said that those who follow Him in this world should expect that we will fill up the sufferings of Christ, but in the latter day, we shall inherit the earth. The last beatitude of Christ said this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he sounds like a madman. He says this, Rejoice And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Come on, really? Rejoice as you're being pummeled by life and by people who are against you? Rejoice, really? How is that possible? Well, let me put it to you this way. It's possible if you begin to experience the life of the age to come now. What do I mean? I remember the last week. The last week I was working in a factory. And I was getting ready to move to another province province and begin like a new life, if you will. And that last week of work, it was like I was walking on air. I'm not alone in these experiences, I hope. I mean, 
Anticipation of a future joy is such that it can actually be enjoyed ahead of time, right? I mean, think about it. When life was normal, we had vacations, right? And we could go places. In fact, some of us would go on a cruise, right? Think about the week before your cruise. How did that make you feel? The anticipation was almost as good as the time that you were on that boat, right? (laughs) On a five-day vacation, did you enjoy day five? Or did you enjoy day one? (laughs) The anticipation was almost better than the anticipation of going back, right? Often when we think about reward and we think about what Jesus said... We think about what we do in the present in order to get something in the future as payment. But I don't think that's exactly how we should be thinking about what Jesus said. Jesus, who is the life of the age to come, was telling us that we do not live towards the future We live out of the future. Let me say that again. We do not live towards the future, but we live out of the future. Now. Am I a madman? If you have eyes to see Jesus as the life of the age to come, your joy now will be complete. It will be full. Won't matter what comes your way. You can live with a joy now because you're connected to Him who is in the future. I don't think I'm a madman. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. In those very acts, we we anticipate the joy that others will receive, and we have joy in the giving. This is how God is, and we can experience that joy of the life to come now. And the joy that we experience by anticipation will only continue to deepen throughout all of eternity. There will not be day five in which we think, oh, we have got to go back to the way it used to be. We will have joy forever and ever, deepening, growing, turning nuances we've never seen before. This is the blessing and benefits that is ours if we see Jesus as the life of the age to come. The resurrection is the central teaching of Christianity. We do not celebrate today the birth of spring. We do not celebrate today the Easter bunny. Sorry. We do celebrate Jesus who is the life of the age to come. And we celebrate His victorious triumph over sin and death. 
And because Jesus is the Son of God without sin, the grave could not hold Him. He is the resurrection and the life. And so we've been granted privileges. We've been granted first priority to be resurrected first. And then the second death has no power over us. And we will reign with Him for a thousand years. And participation in the first resurrection will, share, will save you and spare you from participation in the second resurrection. The second is the one in which judgment and punishment for rejecting Christ will be meted out. You know, many people think that this is unfair of God to inflict justice for sin. But many do not realize that Jesus also took upon Himself the punishment that He will also mete out to others. Jesus endured hell so that we don't have to. That is the glorious truth of the cross and resurrection. He experienced the punishment that He wants to save us from. He experienced the terror of hell so that we wouldn't have to. And His cross opens the jaws of hell. And as long as it is still called today, we can participate in the life of the resurrection. If we turn from our sin, if we see Jesus for who He says He was, and we turn away from all those guilty pleasures and find that which is ultimately satisfying. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and available to Him is salvation for all who would call upon His name. In the book of Revelation, we have the beautiful invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The gift of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is at no cost to you. It is free. It is available by faith alone. It comes as a gift to be received. I pray that you are thirsty. I pray that you are longing for truth. And if you do, come, come to the water and have it without price, freely. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And you too can participate in that first resurrection with all of its privileges.